Welcome everybody to the Heat Assist Podcast. My name is Carson and I'm joined by my two friends. Hey, this is David. Hey everyone, this is Steven. And today we're going to be talking about uh, Game 5 and Game 6 of the Eastern Conference uh, Finals again with the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics, along with our picks for the Finals, uh, which would be the Miami Heat, obviously, against the Los Angeles Lakers. So uh, we'll start off with Steven. Go ahead, Steven. You want to start this song off? Yeah, so before we start uh, talking about the Lakers series, uh, obviously we want to talk about how the Boston Celtics series ended. And starting off with Game 5, that was a loss to the Celtics. And it came up with a very big performance by the Celtics, especially in the third quarter. They scored 41 points, and the Heat only scored 25. So that's a 16-point difference. And a lot of those points came from... Uh, a surprising and efficient attack to, uh, against our zone defense, where the Celtics have been having a lot of trouble with in the series. And those attacks were led by Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who had 31 points and 28 points respectively. And they also had a huge contribution from Daniel Tice, who had 15 points, 13 rebounds, and five of those rebounds were offensive. And they really implemented Tice on being a playmaker in that series where he would be the guy at the top of the key passing the ball or doing uh, handoffs to their wing players, which would bring Bam out of the paint and would allow the Celtics players to be able to drive straight into the basket. Uh, but Tice was also very aggressive to attack the basket himself whenever he was in the on the free throw line. Uh, this time around, he'd have these the incentive to turn around, look at the basket, and if he had the open shot, he would take them, and he was very successful with that, which led to his 15 points. I mean, in Game 4, I was showing concerns about the Boston Celtics figuring, figuring out the zone, and it, it definitely showed... Well, like you said, Stephen, they took they were able to attack the zone, able to get the shot. Um, another thing that I thought, or we've been saying throughout the podcast, is that the Celtics been neglect not utilizing Jalen Brown often, right? Um, relying on Kemba Walker or Marcus Smart in the fourth quarter to like build him out. And so, but we actually saw the opposite of that in game five in the fourth quarter, where we had Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown taking the majority of the shots uh for the Celtics down, you know, in the fourth quarter to close it out. And the Celtics took 23 shots uh in that fourth quarter. 15 of them were by Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker barely even played in the fourth quarter, but Marcus Smart did not shoot a lot in this game at all. He It was in the single digits overall. So, I mean, he did what he did, what he does best, playing defense. I mean, Marcus Smart in this game almost had a triple-double. I mean, he was setting up plays for his teammate as well, but he wasn't shooting them out of the game. He was letting the shooter shoot. He was letting Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum shoot, and those are the best offensive player. And it showed, um, you know, Jalen Brown had a monster game in game five. And he had trouble, you know, containing him uh, either from three point shot or from him penetrating. So, you know, we always been asked, you know, this was consistent for our podcast that Jalen Brown is, you know, he hasn't been shooting a lot. He hasn't been getting the ball. He's not involved. And he was involved in this game. And the Boston won, won this game. I mean, he was the best player in the fourth quarter. The Boston Celtics stopped turning it over as much in late situations. And, and, and it was a blowout. It was all led by the big third quarter. But, uh, you know, it wasn't really ever close, unlike 
the other loss where the Heat was able to come back and get it down to five before losing it. But, you know, this game wasn't really that close. It was just it was mostly Boston doing everything right. And to add to that, it wasn't just Boston playing really well, which they did, but sure. the Heat just shot really poorly, especially from the three-point line. Mm-hmm. They shot only 19%, 7 out of 36 you know, when our defense is not being able to hold up, the only way to match it is through our offensive output, which we just did not have in that game. Yeah, I agree. I mean, one concern for me was just Jay Crowder. I, I liked how in this game, even Jay Crowder, he's been really struggling from three. Like his hot streak has run dried. It, it disappeared. <laughs> Apparently, like basically throughout this whole series. And I, I, at least I like what I saw from him. He wasn't just settling for three-point shot. At least he, he tried to attack the rim. He tried to get buckets up. Besides just, he, he wasn't just standing around waiting to shoot the three or waiting to get the uh, pass for a three-point shot. At least he was, you know, mixing up his offense a bit. But yeah, his three-point shooting still continued to struggle. And he just the bench. really nice cuts to the basket. Though. Yeah, yeah. He had really nice cuts. Yeah, kudos on him on not just wait, you know, not just yeah. w- waiting behind the three-point line, yep. just creating his own shots. But still concerning that he he's not making it from three-point. Another thing I wanted to point out in that game, well, not in the game, but after the game, one of the guys that kind of put himself as being responsible for the Heat's loss, which I thought was very surprising, mm-hmm. was Bam. Bam went on in the post-game interview, said that you know that was on him that the Heat lost. And you look at his stats, he had 13 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists, and 2 turnovers. And you kind of think to yourself, it's like, well, you know, he didn't play as usually he's been playing against the Celtics, which he's been somewhat dominating and being more productive in all ends. But you look at that stats, it's like, yeah, okay, maybe he didn't produce as much, but it's like, man, you're putting all that weight on that game to yourself. Like, you didn't do that bad, right? <laughs> but then, then we get to game 6. And man, did he show up. He has such a career night. He had 32 points, 11 out of 15, 10 out of 11 from the free throw line, 14 rebounds, 5 assists, and only 2 turnovers in 39 minutes and 30 seconds. So he understood that, you know, I got to do more in order for us to win and close the series out. I really need to step up, and sure enough, he did. You know, you're just looking at the stats. Obviously, he did well, but some of the things that he did to change from, really from the entire series, he, he was never as aggressive as he was in this game where he literally just went straight to the paint, attacking ties directly. And he had a couple straight line drives to the basket. And one of them led to a double-handed jam right on Daniel Tice's face. And that was, like, amazing. And I think that's, that's one of the moments that really spurred the, the Heat to do a, this amazing fourth quarter. Yeah, I agree. I mean, just to emphasize your point, Stephen, they, they ran ISO plays for Fam. Like, everybody cleared the lane for Fam to do his thing, to play one-on-one against Tice. Like, that is crazy to think about. Many people don't think Bam is much of an offensive weapon. But here we are late in the fourth, the heat down in the fourth quarter, and it was Bam out of all people running ISO plays, again, putting the, the heat up, leading them through the fourth quarter and into the finals. Like, that's just crazy. And, like, even – and there was one play when they actually – the Boston Celtics finally – realized that they can't stop Bam, so they start doubling teaming him. And he found a, a perfect pass to Jimmy Butler. Like, he had two pass to Jimmy Butler for Jimmy Butler just laid in for easy layups. Like, he was still creating plays for his teammates. Oh, yeah. You mean that lefty pass he had? Like yeah. Yeah, it was a really good look. What I like was, in this game, we saw Jimmy Butler leading the way in, in, in the first half, being very aggressive, attacking the rim. 
and then he let his teammates score. You know, uh, you know, in the beginning it was mostly like Jimmy Butler and, and Goran Dragic with Bam running pick and roll. You know, late in the fourth when they needed to score, when when the Heat were down, they need you know a comeback. It was led by Bam, and then it was led by Tyler Hero, and then you know it's just the whole, a whole team effort uh, for this win. And Andre Iguodala popping out of nowhere to shoot a hundred percent from the field goal. This was definitely a, a amazing game. Well, just to emphasize more on Bam, do you know uh, his stat line was uh, 32, 14, and 5? Do you know who two other Heat players who also had a, a stat line of at least 30, 10, and 5? Well, one has to be doing way. Yep, that's one of them. I'll give you a hint. The next, the, the second person is the one of the people that they're going to face in the next round. Yeah, it has to be LeBron. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bam Adebayo is the th- one of the, the third player to average, to, to get uh, a box line of a box score of 30, 10, and 5 in the playoffs. He's not, there's not a lot of players who could do that. So he's joining really like elite company right now. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Now, like one other thing I noticed in this game was like Ennis Kender, who <laughs> once again reappeared because he had a really monster, really big game five. Like he punished the heat inside in game five, uh, grabbed some clutch rebounds. But I like how in game, game six, you know, Brad Stevens ran out Ennis Kender again, but this time the Heat were not gonna let that happen. They they attack Kenner on the they attack his defense and really punish him, punish Brad Stevens putting uh Ennis Kenner in. Specifically, um Andre Iguodala punished Ennis Kenner for leaving him wide open multiple times. Yeah, and that was huge because Iguodala has been known to not produce on the offensive end. And when you're pairing up him up with Cantor, that's where you need to make the the trade off, right? Mm-hmm. If Brad Stevens is going to put Cantor in, well, then Iguodala has to make his shots because otherwise Cantor's, you know, he's going to have his way on the offensive end, uh, being able to get offensive rebounds and assert himself right underneath the post and just score very effortlessly. If he's going to have his way on the offensive end, the least we can do is to score just as much. And that was on Andre Iguodala, who stepped up huge to be able to score 15 points on 100% shooting, right? Yeah, and I thought it was surprising that, you know, after, you know, in game five, the Celtics turned to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to, you know, close it out for them but then, in the fourth quarter. But then in this game, they, they kind of reverted back to their old ways, having Marcus Smart jack up a bunch of shots again. Um, you know, it's weird that they they can't keep it consistent, right? Like, why why are they still going away from Jalen Brown? It's just it's really eye opening because he was the best player in this game uh, for the Celtics, and to see him not really closing out for them or try to be the the one to get them back into the game was surprising. So I was watching this ESPN show called The Jump with Rachel Nichols, and she had a mm-hmm. uh, an insider reporter uh, named Jackie Ma- Jackie McMullen, who's you know very renowned reporter for the Boston Celtics. But she made a very good point that the reason why they lost the game is because when they started seeing Bam take over the game and then Hero started making his points, which tied the game, mm-hmm. they started getting nervous. Their inexperience yeah. caught up to them. And that's when they started jacking up those three-pointers. They felt like they had to close the lead or get the lead back by just jacking up three-pointers. I'm glad you brought that up because me and David were talking about that before we started the podcast. Starting from like with five minutes and 14 seconds left, pretty much crunch time. With the, with pretty much like the last five minutes of the uh, of the game, the Boston Celtics were only down two points, and their next five possessions, starting from five minutes and fourteen seconds left in the game, 
down two, they all they did was jack up threes. They kept jacking up threes until they had about three minutes left in the in the game. And during that time, the Heat the instead of the score being one hundred two to one hundred four, it was one hundred two to one fourteen. Brutal! Oh my gosh! <laughs> all they did was jack threes. It was two by Kemba Walker, one by Tatum, one by one by Smart, and one by Brown. And even the fourth quarter as a whole, like I'm looking at their box score just for the fourth quarter, they shot 37% overall, but two out of 14 from the three-point line. So that's 14% from the three-point line in the entire fourth quarter. I also want to mention this. When I mentioned the score being 102 to 104, the Boston Celtics also didn't score in three minutes of, re- of regulation in a final five minutes of the game. Like, their last point that they scored was with 5 minutes and 40 seconds left. That was the last shot that they made at that time. After that, their next shot that they made was with 2, was with two minutes left. 2 minutes and 19 seconds left. Like, what Steven said. Like, the experience right there just shows. Another point I wanted to bring out, as much as we've been bashing on the Celtics, I do want to highlight the fact that overall, the Heat, the entire Heat roster that played more than 5 minutes, I mean, they we just... We were just had that night where everyone was scoring, except for Jay Crowder. Um, Solomon Hill played for five minutes in the game, and obviously he didn't <laughs> score anything. But everyone else scored in double digits besides Jay Crowder, who had nine points. He didn't shoot well again from the three-point line, one to five, but he still had some really, really good cuts to the basket and layups that led him to those nine points. But look at Jimmy Butler, had 22 points. Bam had 32 points in his career night. Duncan had 15 points, 5 of 7 from the three-point line. Drogic, who has been a rather passive in the past couple of games, still had 13 points and 7 assists. Tyler Hero had 19 points. And Andre Godala, like we mentioned before, had 15 points. So, you know, we scored through a committee, even though Bam had a huge night. We All, all the players really contributed, and we just had that really hot night. That added up to 56% overall, 48% from the three-point line, and 22 free throws that were made. Uh, Do you guys have anything else to add to that game six? Um, Just, you know, you mentioned Jay Crowder being the one not scoring in double digits. Uh, you know, once again, he struggled shooting the three, but at least he got involved in other ways, you know, making more cuts, driving to the basket, trying to create other uh, shooting opportunities. But... It's, it's, it's just something that's really concerning for me because I think, I think throughout his career, he's been known as an inconsistent three-point shooter. And you know, he's he's becoming cold at a very bad time. And it's, and it's, it's a big concern of mine because I think he's going to be, not to go too far ahead, but he's going to be a big part of, he's going to be very important for the Lakers. But like in this whole entire series, Jay Crowder, in the Boston Celtics series, Jay Crowder is only shooting... 12 out of 47 from threes, and that's about 26%. He actually started out really great in game one. He was five out of nine. So if you take away game one, so game two to six, he's he's shooting seven out of 38, or just like 18% from three. You know, really bad timing for the most part. Um, so I'm 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 concerned that he it's not like he's you know he's he's missing open threes. You know where he used to be automatic. So it's just a huge concern for me. Uh, going forward, I actually have a rather surprising stat. I'm, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but in this series against the Celtics, the Heat overall from the three point line averaged 32.3% from the three point line. That's low. That's really low. And, you know, you look at the percentages that were somewhat positive. Tyler Hero 
was shooting at 35%. Duncan Robinson at 41%. Andre Iguodala at 43%, thanks to last night. <laughs> Um, I, I'm glad I, I I'm glad you brought up Duncan Robinson's 41% because this is something I also want to add. Those 41% uh, three point shots that he's taking, all of them were contested. You know, everyone now seems to be struggling from the three point line. I mean, Goran Dragic is at 33.3%. Jimmy Butler is at 17%. Jay Crowder, like David just mentioned, he's a little under 26%. And uh, I think Kelly Olynyk is going to be important in this. Lakers series and he's at 20% even though he didn't shoot that many it's somewhat of a good and bad news because we're able to win and beat the Celtics without one of our best offensive tool sets Mm -hmm. being a very strong three-point percentage team but then again it's kind of concerning that you know we're shooting this poorly I think that we're gonna have to score from the three-point line at a very efficient clip to be able to beat the Lakers I think you'll be uh you'll be fine I think they'll do. They'll shoot from the three better against the Lakers than the, the Celtics. Do you guys have any final thoughts on the Celtics and Heat series before we move on to our pre-finals analysis? I do have one point. One thing I want to point out: Tyler Hero needs to uh, cut cut off on those turnovers because he had some crucial turnovers in the third quarter that almost cost him the game. Because he had yes. five turnovers in the uh, total, but he had some where it was just unnecessary. Like there was one by Marcus Smart. There was another one by Jalen Brown. Some most of those turnovers were were not necessary, and he, I would say that's the the negative um, part of his game. Even though he played pretty well. Yeah, it was something we discussed before, where his handles are not quite there yet. Um, and it it was also there in the Bucks series as well, where yeah. Dante Divincenzo would pick his pocket. Um, but yeah, he he has some bad turnovers here, where you, you would call him pick six, where he got picked. He got the ball stolen, and then the Celtics were run the other way for a fast break layup. And I think that happened twice on 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 two of his five turnovers. So, yeah, yeah I can't. Yeah, I mean, I think the, that's something teams would know. Like, I think that's something the Lakers would know, and would try to zone it or pressure him. Well, since you mentioned the Lakers, should we talk about the finals then? Yeah. What do you guys think? Most news outlets are. N- Really not giving the Heat any chance whatsoever. Hmm. I think I think you mentioned this, Carson, before the podcast that the odds are three to one against the Heat. That's the last time I saw three to one on paper. Just seeing LeBron's name and Anthony Davis's name, you kind of automatically assume you're like, yeah, that makes sense. But I, I think it's going to be a very competitive series. It's not going to be a cakewalk like most people seem to think. Yeah, I, I kind of have to agree. I I understand that the Heat are are the underdog and I can see why, but I think I think if the game is close enough, I feel like the Heat can as as they've shown throughout this whole playoff series, they they then they don't blow out in the wins, right? They're just clutch. They know how to close it out in, in closing moments. Um they know what it takes to win. If the if the Heat keep it close, I, I really like the chances for that. Um I think a key part of it for me is is Jay Crowder. Um, you know, the biggest thing with the Lakers is if they run a big lineup with, you know, if they play a traditional center, you Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee, most likely they're going to out-rebound the Heat because of all their height. And that's what happened in the in the, in the last matchup, um, you know, at the very beginning of the season, a close game, but the Lakers out-rebound the Heat. 
but they didn't have Jay, Grow- Jay Crowder, who's going to be very important in that the Heat need to punish the Lakers for playing big by having three-point shooters and sh- shooting threes, and Jay Crowder would be a big part of that. And I'd see this similar to the Milwaukee Bucks series where the Bucks had two big guys, and it was like a defense by committee by the Heat. They'll have Jay Crowder guarding. Like I, I think Jay Crowder is so important because I don't know if he's if he's going It's important to see who's going to guard Anthony Davis. Is it going to be Bam Adebayo, Jay Crowder? I think the Heat could go similar to the Bucks approach, and they put Jay Crowder on him and send help whenever available. Uh, but yeah, I think it's all on Jay Crowder and his ability to hit the three and his defense like is a big part of it. Yeah, I, I agree. Jay Crowder is going to be crucial, especially since he's going to be that low key piece that's going to be open for a wide open three point shot. And mm-hmm. he's going to get a lot of looks and we're going to need those points in order to win. And to be fair, to beat a LeBron led Lakers with AD, like everyone's going to have to step up and really yeah. put their best effort. Every single opportunity, every single mismatch that we get, we need to attack. The Lakers are kind of top-heavy with just two players, although they're MVP caliber top-heavy, right? Mm-hmm. LeBron, an all-time great, and Anthony Davis, a very... Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't question him to be in the MVP ballot at all. He, arguably, those two, they, have two of the top, they have two of the top five players in the NBA currently right now. Absolutely. LeBron yeah. and AD. Not to mention that they have a really top-heavy defensive team. And what I mean by that is you look at their roster and, they, and they're all defensive team accomplishments. You look at LeBron, who was a defensive player of the year candidate back with Miami. You know, we know he could play defense, even though he's not as athletic as he was before. You could see like he was able to slow down Jamal Murray in the last game. And then you look at Anthony Davis, who's a defensive player of the year candidate. Dwight Howard, who was a perennial defensive player of the year winner for three years in a row back in his prime. And Danny Green made the all-defensive second team twice. Rondo was a constant all-defensive first team multiple times. Actually, I believe LeBron, Dwight Howard, and Rondo made the first team together in different teams twice in a row. And uh, look at Cotavius Caldwell-Pope, who's a very capable perimeter defender. It's going to be hard to score on these guys, as capable as our offense is. the you know They're led by a very defensive-minded coach and Frank Vogel with all these capable pieces to play defense. I think that we're really going to have to be on point in order to score on these guys. All these open looks that we get, we have to make. And Jay Crowder is going to be very important, like David said. But one matchup that I'm very curious to see is AD and Bam. Bam really stepped up in that last game, got us the series. But you know, when you're talking about levels, it's a huge step for him to go up against this perennial all defensive player and we're going to see how Bam's offensive game is going to match up to AD's defense and um you know as much as I believe that Bam can slow down AD's offense you know it's uh it's going to be a very tall task for Bam's offense to be effective against AD's defense but if we can get an aggressive and effective Bam in the paint it's going to open up our offense a lot more to open up some shots on the perimeter so I'm just I just want to know who's going to guard who. Well, I think LeBron. I, most people are going to wonder who's going to guard LeBron, but I don't think we're going to have one guy guarding LeBron. I'm actually thinking we're going to play man-to-man. We're going to give LeBron a lot of different looks, from Jimmy Butler mm-hmm. to Jay Crowder, Iguodala. Um, Bam's going to have some moments where he's got switched off. If we're in foul trouble, send in Derek Jones Jr. And I think that's going to be our key, just give a lot of different looks to LeBron and may, just – 
try to slow him down as much as possible. Now, AD, I would hope we're going to put Bam on him. But it depends on if the Lakers are going to play small, too. I think if the Heat are capable of forcing the Lakers to go small, I think that's a key to our for us to win the series. Because if they go small, that means they can't use their bigs, which is their advantage. And the Lakers are not very deep playing small. I kind of want them to go big because uh, I think we have enough shooting to overcompensate for that. Because um, they they like to push in transition too. And so and so that's kind of the reason why I want them to go big. But like I said, I, I think we, we could off, if they go big, we might get killed in the rebounds. But I feel like the, if the Heat can hit their threes, they should get a lot of good looks at the threes. Like, right. I, I'd rather go that route. What I'm, I'm trying to say is like we're going to be able to win that matchup. If they go big... We're gonna beat them by by being able to make those three point shots, right. right? Okay. And so then they're gonna be forced to go small, which is a huge win for us because that means that now they're they're in a position where they have to adjust to our offense. So I think that you know if we see them having to play small, that's a huge win for us, and not only because it shows that their bigs are not being able to keep up with our with our perimeter shooting, but it also they they're not very uh, deep when it comes to playing small ball. And I think that's when it's going to be, you know, that's when I think we have one up on them. I we'll see, because I, I think they they are pretty deep at small ball, especially if they put Anthony Davis at center. I feel like that's their best lineup. So I'm worried about that. I don't think that's going to happen because I, I feel like Anthony Davis hates playing center. They have gone with it. It's not like they never play. I think they've only gone with it once. They've always want, Anthony Davis has always wanted another center in there. He's, like well, the only time he's played real traditional center. I mean, against the Rockets, you know, he was. Yeah, the Rockets. Center. That's it. So that's kind of what I'm comparing it to. Like these put Markeith Morris in with LeBron and AD, and mm-hmm. Anthony Davis the center. Yeah, I mean, I agree that that that's a formidable lineup for the Lakers for us to play against. But it takes away one of their advantages, right? And then they're playing to our strengths as well. And then it's up to them to stop us. I think it takes away their their ability to attack the paint as much, or at least takes away their weapons from the from down low in the paint, getting offensive rebounds, and just being able to overpower us when they're close to the basket. I, I guess that's where we disagree because I thought, I think if they go small, we're gonna have a lot of trouble. I feel like their I I really believe their small ball lineup is is, is much better. Um, I like it open up it'll open up their three point shots. It. Okay, you know, they're me, great at transition. I, who, who do you think, what's their, so their small ball lineup was what? Contavious, Caldwell, Pope, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Rondo, and who, Caruso? I mean, they switch on and off. It's not always consistent, but they do, they usually don't have Caruso and Rondo together. It's usually okay, one so. But you have, yeah, okay, we might so, have. Okay. I think why I'm, I am so appealed by them being able to play small ball is because I think it forces them to take more three-point shots. Right. Yeah, and they're I'm not okay, a good three-point okay shooting that. team. Yeah. They are dead last in the bubble when it comes to three-point shot uh, percentage, the Lakers. We'll see if it continues, but I, didn't mean, I think they have a lot of streaky shooters, inconsistent shooters in Danny Green and uh, KCP, but you can't guarantee that's going to continue in the Heat series, especially if they get open looks. To me, I see that as, and I guess this is kind of like what you said, this is where we disagree. Yeah. I think that's a game that we can win as mm-hmm. opposed to if they dominate us in the paint. Because if they're going down the paint hard, that's a lot of work for Bam. And now we're in trouble because we don't have a lot of bigs to deal with. 
if Bam gets in foul trouble. Yeah, we'll see. What happens. Like, yeah, it's like pick your poison kind of thing, right? Right. Yeah. To me, it's I'd rather them turn into a jump shooting team and beat us that way than do, than them just driving it into the lane. I feel like if the Heat just make them inefficient, like LeBron and AD, they're gonna both score thirty or in the high twenties. It's it's guaranteed. Uh, no matter how good Bam or Jimmy Butler is, I'm pretty sure those two are going to uh, score in the 30s. It's just, to me, it's a matter of how efficient they're going to score from there. If they're going to, are they going to score in the 40 percentage, like shooting 40 percent, or in the 30s, or are they going to shoot 50 percent and make that and score like that? If they're able to hold them to like shooting in the 40, uh, like 40 percent, like around there, or even a little lower. I mean, that, I think that's a win for the Heat because that's just wasted possessions on their end that they have to generate that amount of points. And I'd rather have them do that, which gives the Heat some a chance to score on the offensive on the offensive end. I think it's better for the Heat to force the other players to show a lower percentage. I then, think that would be the plan. Then, and, then, Le, then LeBron and AD going for like thirty. Yeah, just because that's a lot harder to do, <laughs> quite frankly. I mean, you're trying to like slow down AD and LeBron. I think it's a lot easier to slow down um, KCP, Kuzma, Rondo, Danny Green, Caruso, especially if we force them to the three-point line. Because, I mean, honestly, if LeBron's taking a three, I'll take that. He shot only 29% against the Nuggets. Davis shot 33.3% from the three-point line against the Nuggets. But, you know, it's... if they're taking those shots i'll take them but i the concern is like when they start getting down towards the paint or you know cutting or just being aggressive in transition like and that's another huge point i think you mentioned david we gotta slow them down transition transition well and, it's a good thing the heat are also one of the top the transition uh, defensive teams in the in the bubble right now yeah the lakers are one of the best i think on their transition offense so that's going to be a very interesting matchup like, you always see LeBron doing those quarterback passes to Davis. Like, Davis is always, like, outrunning all the mm-hmm. uh, all the bigs and the opposite team. But yeah. I will say this, though. The, the Heat are pretty much playing with house money. And I feel like the Lakers have everything to lose in this series. Yeah. But uh, on that note, do you guys want to add anything else about the Lakers and Heat series? Anything else you're looking to see as a matchup or anything interesting that you guys might have noted? Because I did notice something very interesting, and I think I mentioned this to you guys, but there's a particular player in the series who's guaranteed to get a championship ring no matter <laughs> what. Whether the Lakers or the Heat wins, Dion Waiters is guaranteed a, a ring because... Really? Yeah, yeah, because he played for the Miami Heat in the regular season, so he was a part of the mm-hmm. team. Uh, but he currently plays for the Lakers, so if they win, then he'll obviously get a ring then. Yeah, wow. He spent more time heat than on the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I can't believe he's going to get a ring. Yeah, that bomb gets a ring for getting high on a plane and not playing ever again. Yeah. Didn't, didn't, even, didn't even do anything in the Lakers. <laughs> Wait, so does that mean that uh, James Johnson's going to get a ring if, if the Heat win? Yeah, I think so. I mean, anyone that was part of the team. Yeah, so... um. Should be an interesting series. Um, so, game one of the NBA Finals is this Wednesday, September 30th, 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. Eastern Time. Should be very interesting to see. And, um, yeah, stay tuned, guys. We've got some more ex- exciting 
stuff to talk about on Sunday and stay safe. Take care, everyone.